And when I think now, you know, we were so fearful about going there and like what to expect. Will these people be different? And yes, they were different. And we were one of like nine white people on the island and we got to experience, um, I wouldn't say racism, but we got to experience what it was like to be different and to not be the majority and to live in someone else's culture. So it was a really, really rich experience when I look at it now. My kids got minded by a local lady. Liam would come home with his hair all slicked up with um, coconut oil. The kids brought him home one day when he was like six months old and he had hardly any hair. And they go, look, miss, look, he's got nits. Hello and welcome to a Nurse Outwear podcast. My name is Danielle Corza and I have been a rural and remote nurse for most of my career. I created this podcast as an opportunity to explore and celebrate and perhaps spark some interest in rural and remote nursing. Each week we will meet with some of the extraordinary nurses who live and work in rural and remote areas across Australia as they tell their story about all that is beautiful and unique to rural and remote nursing. So join with me as we explore the stories from a nurse out where. Hi everyone, welcome to the next episode of A Nurse Out Where. I've uh, had to wrangle this guest to to speak to me today, so please be gentle with her as we go through. But um, she was born in Kerrang in Victoria and grew up in Donald, which is a farming community, and says both of her parents were meat workers there. She originally didn't want to be a nurse and instead wanted to join the police force. So when she left school, she needed to wait to be old enough to apply for the police. Um, So she decided that nursing would be good as an extra qualification. Since then, she's been nursing for 33 years, initially as an enrolled nurse, training at the Royal Royal Women's in Melbourne, and then going to university after that she relocated to Darwin. In her second year of training, she did a placement in community health and immediately knew uh, that she had found her place. So she applied and was successful in a 12-month community health professional development program in Darwin and Palmerston and says she's never looked back. Welcome, Tracy Seacack. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so pleased I finally got to have this conversation with you. You're, you're a great storyteller and I'm sure we'll have lots of yarns along the way. So I'm really looking forward to chatting with you. All right. Hopefully I don't disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk you up. You'll be fine. So you. as you know... The podcast is titled A Nurse Out Where. So from your perspective, um, can you finish the sentence, I'm a nurse out where? So I'm a currently a, a nurse uh, in, at Weeper on Cape, in Cape York. I um, service the communities of Weeper, Napanam and Marpoon as a diabetes nurse and chronic disease nurse practitioner. So we're remote and considered remote, but we don't, not as remote as a lot of other places. We live in a quite a, a affluent mining town. Um, so we kind of get a bit of the best of both worlds. I get to work with the communities and the people that I love to work with, um, but live in a reasonably um, populated town with pubs and clubs and those sorts of things. So I'm a bit of a cheat. <laughs> so you kind of got the best of both worlds, really, haven't you? Like, you, you know, Weeper's, you know, got, got a few shops and a few different things as well. And, but it does get cut off during the wet season. Yeah, we do get cut off at the Archer River, so we keep an eye on that. If we're doing any of our runs to town, um, everyone watches Bomb and the Archer and 
um, the river height data. And so we're very, very good at looking up the weather channels <laughs> to see what's going on, <laughs> to see whether we'll get back. So we normally will run the gauntlet at Christmas time. Um, however, this year we probably won't. We'll probably be staying here until, you know, Easter, I'd say. Yeah, but and, and when you say sorry, when you say the run to town, you mean the trip from Weeper to Cairns, which is several hundred yes. kilometres. <laughs> it's a ten-hour run. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just popping down to the shops. You're doing ten hours to go to yes. Cairns. <laughs> but I do call it our town, so I do call it my shopping centre because everyone's like, "Oh, you're on holidays again." It's like it's the shopping centre. I'm just shopping. <laughs> it's not, you know, I can't just whip to Maya up here. So yeah, we. Cairns is our shopping hub and, you know, where we go and get our teeth done and, you know, whatever bits and pieces, you know, yeah. that we can't do here in Weeper. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So why did you want to go rural and remote? What what draw, draw your attention to that? Um, it was never, never, uh, it, it, I don't think I do, have done anything intentionally when I think about it now and this podcast does make you think about your intent. Um, what had happened was we lived in Darwin and uh, my husband got a job as a carpenter trainer on Saibai Island. We we're like, oh, where's Saibai Island? So we did a bit of looking up and he got the position. Um, I was, you know, nine months and, you know, 30 days pregnant with our second baby. So he took the job. I went to Victoria for three months and then I moved there when my youngest was three months old and my next one up, Cody, was um, two years old. And we spent nearly two years there on Saibai. So that was our first real remote and when I think now, you know, we were so fearful about going there and like what to expect. Will these people be different? And yes, they were different. And we were one of like nine white people on the island and we got to experience, um, I wouldn't say racism, but we got to experience what it was like to be different and to not be the majority and to live in someone else's culture. So it was a really, really rich experience when I look at it now. My kids got minded by a local lady Liam would come home with his hair all slicked up with um, coconut oil. The kids brought him home one day when he was like six months old and he had hardly any hair. And they go, look, miss, look, he's got knits. And I was so excited. <laughs> <laughs> so every baby had a head full of knits. It was hilarious. So, yeah, and I was a very inexperienced nurse. Um, and I didn't go there to nurse, but I would fill in for the nurse when he went on leave. Um, but my... It was just everything terrible would seem to happen when I was doing this backfill. So we need, I said, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not experienced enough. So they said, fine, you can work three days a week with Ian. So at that time it was a single nurse post. So he was really, really welcome for the help. And I got to really learn a whole lot of stuff, um, you know, in that nursing field. Because if I didn't nurse, I was working in the takeaway shop or, you know, I did the odd jobs around town. So, yeah, it was good. Very good. Yeah, wow. And what an opportunity to be able to, you know, cement your your skills with a mentor like that, particularly considering it was a single nurse post. You know, that's not something that would have been the norm, I guess. Well, it was definitely the norm then. So like 20 years ago, back in the in the Taurus, yes, single nurse post. Um, but fortunately, it's phasing out. And but and so Cyber, I think now has three nurses and a doctor. So they're they're really, um, you know, it's much, much better than it was because it's a really busy clinic because the open border, which is currently closed, of course, because of COVID, but the open border between Papua New Guinea and Australia. So you'd get lots of people come over from um, Mabaduan and Sigabataru, which are the closest 
um, villages and they would come over for their healthcare. So you would just see all sorts of things. I mean, you know, people would come for dental care and, you know, I mean, I don't know if I can say this now, but, you know, Ian would go over to the mechanic shop and get the pliers and, and whip a tooth out. So I never got to that point, but people were even so grateful for that. And you think, oh my goodness, they had such poor access to healthcare, only three kilometres across the ditch. So whatever you could provide for those people, they were so grateful for. So I really enjoyed that part of it as well. Yeah. yeah wow. wow. And you would all, could you, can you see Papua New Guinea from Saibai? Is it yes. that high up? Yeah. yeah. Yep. You can see the islands. You could see their fires. They would just come over and buy their rice and they always smelled a smoke. So that was obviously how they, you know, did all their cooking, but they'd buy their rice and flour. They would trade their things um, along the foreshore, you know, um, items that they would make and carve and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Wow. Mm. So, you've, you know, you've already told a few stories already and you know that we're bound by um, confidentiality. So just keeping that yeah. in mind, have you got a tale to tell or a funny story of your time working in remote? Oh, you know, when I kind of did my little bio for you, I... I kind of, as I, I think I said, and I find it, sometimes when I look back, I find it really hard to think of funny stories. Like I, I have overwhelmingly probably taken away things that felt more traumatic to me. Um, and that's not a negative on remote. It was, it's a reflection of me and how I reflect on my own practice and things like that, you know. Um, you know, <laughs> some of the dumb things I did, I can tell you something completely dumb and it's the way things fall into place. So. I had a knock at the door early hours one morning. I've had to go around to see Aka because um, her blood sugar was low and I went, oh, righto, went and got my bag. You know, Ian was away. So I zipped over there on the quad bike and, and then um, I checked her sugar and, oh, yeah, it was low. No, it wasn't low. It was normal, but she was barely conscious. And I'm like, she's bloody barely conscious and it's normal. So, you know, I did everything I needed to do. The helicopter came in and took her. The helicopter got up in the air checked her blood glucose again <laughs> and it was in the twos and what had happened was the blood glucose machine hadn't been hadn't been calibrated <laughs> so I checked her sugar that was completely normal so that I thought this lady's obviously having a stroke so a $15,000 chopper ride they pick her up take her check her sugar she's having a hypo go down an island give her some glucagon she's all good she goes to TI for a day and comes back <laughs> So it's things like that where you go, oh, God, I won't do that again, you know. So please remember to calibrate your blood glucose meters. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we have the checks. <laughs> yeah, this is why we have the checks, a very simple reason. So, you know, that was probably, I learned a lot from that experience, put it that way. And probably all the experiences were that I found a bit overwhelming, I learned something from and, you know, I was able to change some aspect of my practice or at least pass on some you know, fonts of knowledge to someone else. <laughs> well, and I, I guess that's, that shows a sign of maturity in your practice too, doesn't it? That you can have mm -hmm. that critical reflection on, you know, what you've done and, and learn from it, not to be doing the same simple mistakes over and over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So um, what do you miss the most when you're working in rural? You've done this for a long time. So what, what would be some of the things you'd miss the most when you're living and working in rural and remote? Yeah, so to tell you the truth, the only thing that I really miss now is family. And even then, I sort of don't really feel that far away from them anymore because so much has changed 
from when I first went remote. So, you know, you've got FaceTime and you've got Instagram and you've got Facebook and you've got all those things. And probably the missing has is a little bit crappy at the moment because of COVID because, you know, you can't just up and zip down to Victoria because you never know if the borders are going to be open or closed. But apart from that, I've actually always embraced what we can't have. So I was really glad that my kids couldn't have McDonald's. They couldn't have KFC. We couldn't go to the movies whenever we wanted. We couldn't spend our Saturdays and Sundays in shopping centres. So what we had to do was play the local sport, go fishing, go hunting, go swimming, be outdoors. Um, I used to make candles and had a little, and used to go to the markets here and weave it to keep me busy. And I always joked that that would stop me eating because at least I was cooking, I was making candles. You know, I sewed patchwork quilts. You know, you just kind of find things to do that don't involve spending money as well. Like I feel like every time we go to Cairns, everything costs. Like you're spending money constantly. So when you're here, you kind of don't tend to do that. And you just, I don't know, do more wholesome activities than you have to make your own fun even though it costs you a fortune to set up for camping because, you know, we do have a gas hot water service where we can have a shower. You know, we do have the quad bikes and, you know, we do have the buggy and we have got the fancy trailer. So, I mean, you know, we still spend money. But, yeah, I don't miss anything, to tell you the truth. I think I appreciate it more and the kids appreciate it more when we go out. So my boys actually don't buy McDonald's or anything these days. They'll go and get a nice Luxa or, you know, get good food when they go out and things like that. So, I've, I've found it's always been the best thing to not have everything at our fingertips because we appreciate it when we go. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Mm. So, you know, living and working in rural and remote, as you know, is really rewarding, but you also alluded to that it can be quite quite challenging, you know, personally and professionally. So how do you care for your own mental health when you're out in these remote locations? Yeah, I think it's, you know, for me, it was always good because I had my family. So I always had had my husband and two sons. So that always made it much, much easier than I think, than if you're quite isolated. I think, you know, I think regular relief from isolation is absolutely important. And I think what my biggest message to someone would be who's remote and maybe struggling is that sometimes you can't change the situation that you're in. And I think I quoted Kenny Rogers in the bio, feeling I was very, very clever. But you do need to know when to hold them and know, know when to fold them. So if it's time, it's time. And I think you need to recognise that in yourself because I think more often than not, we, we become so committed to the community that we're caring for that we'll just keep pushing on and pushing on and pushing on. And I think in that, that time where you keep pushing on, that there can be you know little bits of damage done along the way and I think when we really look you know reflect and look deep down into our own souls we know when it's time to go so what I'd say to people is when you're starting to feel like that and you need to really have a look and go is can I change this situation will the situation improve are there more things that are unacceptable in what I'm doing than are acceptable and if the answer is that you can't change anything, then start to look around for another position and just do that in your time. Don't get to the point where everything blows up and you and you kind of leave on a bad note or, you know, some people kind of have to wait for things to blow up to make the change. Try not to do that because that's incredibly damaging and it's hard to come back from, you know. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. You know, you can't, we can't change the world. 
And I think you've got to focus on that, you know, they call it the sphere of influence. So, you know, what you can change and it might, it may not be work. It might be what you can change at home or what you can change outside of work that makes you uh, more comfortable and more satisfied with what you're doing. Um, you know, so yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right. Mm. So what do you, you said you do a bit of camping and fishing and those kinds of things. What do you do on your downtime? What do you do on your days off? Yeah, so in the dry season, like we, we, we tend to head off camping a fair bit and we're really lucky. We live so close to the telegraph track. So lots of people, you know, we, we run the Cape York um, Facebook pages and people are saving for their trip of a lifetime to go to the tally track. Well, we'll go to the tally track, you know, every couple of weeks and there's some absolutely amazing creeks along there. So, you know, we'll sit there at the creek and drink our beers and have our fire and have camp ovens and, you know, you get out of Weeper and um, we, we sometimes will do that with a group, but probably very rarely. It was always Adam and I and the kids and then just Adam and I will go ourselves our last trip out we and we do it kind of every year we camp at the same time as the league of lemons which is a an old car kind of rally where the car's got to cost under three grand and they do the tally track in it so we camp along the track for them um and then we watch them do the crossing so we watch them all do gunshot and things like that so that's a really fun weekend away so um yeah, and we went fishing the other weekend. I hadn't been out in the boat for a couple of years because <laughs> I get a, um, a whole body experience with seasickness. So, oh. <laughs> so, so if I'm, so I'm going to go seasickness, it's, it's, it's nasty. So, um, but normally I'm pretty good. So anyway, we went out the other week and we had a great time fishing and my sister's staying with us at the moment and she, um, we'd been out a couple of hours and Adam and I were bringing in a few fish and she's like, that's it, my rod is broken, I'm taking it back. But anyway, she finally got a couple, but then she finally got catfish, actually. So she was the caddy queen for the day. But um, the fishing's good here, so that's that's nice. Yeah. And we got dogs. We um, Adam goes out hunting and stuff like that. Yeah, I like being at home. Like, I'm a bit of a homebody. You talk to too many people at work. It's just nice not to talk to anyone sometimes. Just a bit of downtime. And as you can tell, I talk a lot. So it's not <laughs> everyone else talking. It's me. <laughs> You need a moment to get your voice back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, hey, what are your three top three tips? You know, if someone's thinking about coming remote, they might be new or they might be, you know, wanting a change or. I think know. I said, I think I said be brave. I think I said if, you, if you're really considering going remote, you know, consider a short-term contract. Um, be brave if you've never been before go somewhere where you know there's a few staff so I'd like to give a plug to Nappenham Clinic it's a Monday to Friday clinic we're always looking for staff um, you stay in Weeper and come out to Naps and it's a great way to put your foot you know dip your toes in the water of remote health because you work with a bigger team and Nappenham is only good. about yeah 10 it's about 10 minutes out of out of Weeper yeah yeah it's not 10 far. minutes out of Weeper no on call um, so you get a really good feel for what community health is like and primary health care in a remote Indigenous community without the stress of thinking, oh, I'm going to be on call and what if this happens and what if that happens? And so once you kind of get into the groove of that and you go, actually, I'm not bad at that, then you can kind of look at places like Marpoon, which is only, you know, an hour from Weeper. <laughs> And that's a lovely little community of only about 400 people. You know, you've got two nurses and a couple of health workers and that's quite quite a nice stepping stone. Yes. 
<laughs> nice little plug there. Well done. Well, if anyone is interested in going to Mapoon or to Napredam or even to Weeper for that matter, um, you know, they can always um, get in contact with me and I'll send them your way. That would be amazing. Yeah, get in touch. If anyone else needs any hot tips from a few other places, I think I've flown to every island in the Taurus doing my diabetes work and lived on Saibai, lived on Porama, lived on Horn. So, you know, I've kind of got a good lay of the land for the Torres Islands as well. So, yeah, cool. So if they've got um, got a few burning questions, I'll um, get in touch with me and I'll send them your way. Fair enough. That'll be good. Because <laughs> you do like to talk. <laughs> yes, I do. I love it. <laughs> I was thinking I wouldn't have anything to say to this podcast. I think, oh, my God, that's some of the worst. I don't even know what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> I told you I'd make you look good. Thank you. <laughs> well, on that note, I'll let you get back to your downtime. Thank you for your time, Tracy. I've, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. <laughs> if this has sparked your interest and you'd like some more information about this episode or perhaps how to take the leap and explore rural and remote nursing, you can contact me and check out my website, anurseoutwear.com.au or follow me on Facebook and Instagram by searching for A Nurse Outwear. Remember, like, subscribe and share them with your friends.